Hey folks, it's Jeff Fuzzy Wenzel from the Woodshed Agency, and you are listening to a new episode of Successfully Funded. Here we go. Let's turn it up. Turn it up. Yeah! All right, crowdfunders. How is everybody doing out there in the wonderful land of crowdfunding? You know, the magical place where all your dreams come true and where you get to make as much money as humanly possible within 30 days just by putting something on the internet. Of course, you guys know that, that none of that is true, but uh, but yeah. So I am your host, Jeff Fuzzy Wenzel, CEO of Woodshed Agency. We are a marketing agency that, that has specialized in crowdfunding, uh, whether it's reward-based, equity-based. Um, we also do e-commerce, but we help products launch. And this podcast is all about talking to project creators while they're either in the middle of a campaign or their campaign has just finished up. And that way we give you guys the most up-to-date information on what you need to be doing to become successful for your uh, for your campaign. So, so with all that said, that's why hopefully you, you're here because you're exploring, you're thinking about running a campaign or... Maybe you're just a fan of, of who we have on uh, have on the show today, and you're this is your first time listening. So with all that said, let's talk about today's show, right? So today we're going to be talking to Oleg Demansky, Demansky, I think, maybe Demansky. Um, he's from the campaign Jammy EVO, and this, uh, this, this project allows anybody with guitar skills to like play every instrument, right? Which is awesome as a guitar player. This is literally a project that's right in my wheelhouse here because I'm a guitar player and that's about as far as it goes, right? My guitar my guitar abilities are are maxed out. That means I'm not a piano player, bass player, any of that other stuff, right? So, but if you get a jammy EVO, you can transpose what you're doing on guitar through MIDI into all these other keys, all these other instruments, I should say, like keyboards and whatnot. So absolutely unbelievable product and these guys are having a ton of success right now they've got about four days to go in their campaign and they're sitting at uh, just under 200 grand so over 574 uh, looks like guitar players have have jumped on board with this campaign so we're gonna be talking to Oluk in just a little bit here about how they got successful how they got to this point um, and 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 honestly how much work it took to get a project like this off the ground. I mean, you're talking about a lot of intricacies of the guitar strings, picks, plucking your fingers, bending notes, all that sort of stuff, right? Lots and lots of different variables. So if you're a guitar player, musician, or, or somebody making products, definitely go check out this uh, this campaign over on Kickstarter. Um, and if you're looking for that, go over to the show notes right now at woodshed.agency and you can find that. So what else is going kind of going on around here? Well, it's Monday. It's the start of a new week. It's literally 9 a.m. Monday. Right now, I'm looking at my clock when I'm recording this. We are kicking it off, right? Here we go, guys. Got another week under under the belt here. The, you know, whatever we in second week of June? I don't even know anymore. It's becoming all a blur. I mean, we kit my Friday. The kids had their last day of school. I'm gonna put school in quotations because I'm not exactly sure that that's what they were doing. I'm not, I'm actually, not even sure what was happening over these last three months. It certainly wasn't uh, what I thought school looked like, and it, I don't even know if it was really education. But we'll we'll leave that. Um, we'll leave that for that, maybe that conversation for another day. You know, but we had a great day. This is kind of, I think this whole intro is going to be like the sports episode because we started off Friday. The kids had a half day. I, I kind of took some time off work. Um, you know, I, I wasn't as plugged in on Friday after I got, after actually I recorded these interviews that you're going to hear this week. Um, got to go do a little putt putting, a little putt putting. You can hear those peas in there, popping those peas. Yeah, I did a little putt putting with uh, the the family and our, our our friends, the Demots. Shout out over there. So um, we got to go over and uh, 
and, and do a little bit of that, which was, you know, putt-putt at its finest. I've said putt-putt a lot here. It's probably the most putt-putts anybody's ever said putt-putt in a, uh, in a podcast before. Look at all those peas, man. I, don't have, I hope my, I probably just blew out your guys' headphones if you guys are listening right now with all those pops. Sorry, guys. We're trying to get professional over here. We're trying. You know, I'm an audio guy. So, um, but, you know, so, so that was nice. So we got, like I said, got to do a little putt-putting. Um, and then over the weekend, uh, I, uh, I, I played some tennis, which was great, which was lovely. Um, Saturday afternoon, I haven't played tennis in at least 10 years. Went out with my buddy Michael and uh, played for about an hour and a half or so, working on the game. And, and we're gonna, I'm gonna play on Tuesday. Just put that in the calendar. Uh, Tuesday morning, we're gonna go out. I'm gonna, I'm gonna get the tennis back in. I mean, that was, um, it was a fun time. I used to play with my buddy David Loman. Shout out to David Loman, wherever you are in the world. He used to be my, uh, my. Um, my essay buddy, um, when we were, um, uh, uh, server assistants, is that what we were? Yeah. Server assistants back at the Grizzly Peak days in Ann Arbor, we used to bust tables together and then we, uh, found our love for tennis and we would go out and play quite a bit, but that's been at least, at least minimum 10 years ago. Um, maybe even a little bit longer. Um, so again, it was great to get out there, get a little sweat going, get my tennis outfit on, uh, get my headband going, my tennis shoes, got my Slossinger racket back out. So it was great, man. It was good. Good sweat. It was a good sweat, right? What else has happened? Oh, and then Sunday, uh, I got to go out and do a little bit more disc golfing. This time I went to a different course. Again, with a shout out to my buddy. You know who you are out there. And um, really had a nice time there. It was a, uh, it was a cool course. And, uh, you know, working on it. I watched some YouTube videos. Now, I did order some my, my own discs because uh, I've been just borrowing whatever. So those were supposed to show up. Amazon is taking a little bit longer, which is fine. I understand. I don't know if disc golfs are essential uh, to get delivered uh, quickly. But those are supposed to be here this week. So I... I look forward to going out and maybe working on my uh, my throws a little bit. Uh, you know, the disc golf, it's all right. Now, I did, while we were there, I did see a couple guys who, like, rolled up with, you know, like, 200 discs or something in this, like, carrying case thing that, like, had wheels. And, I mean, he's got, he had, like, the monster pro setup where it looked like he had a whole outfit on, uh, fanny packs included, possibly. Um, so I don't know if I'm going to be that guy. I might just have three or four discs and just throw it. I, I don't know if I'm, um, I don't know if I'm, what, and, and you know, the more, I mean, I mean, I, I clearly don't have a professional level of what I'm playing, but I can't fathom why you would need like a hundred to 200 discs with you at any time. I, I don't, I, you know, unless some of these discs do magical things. And again, maybe you guys are listeners out there and you guys are disc golf experts. You guys can tell me. I just don't, I, I can't fathom it. I don't know. But what do I know? I guess I'm still just working on my throws. So who knows? I'm sure those guys are like pro expert disc golfers, which I don't know what that equals either. Cause I don't, maybe there's, there probably is a pro circuit on this. I bet ESPN might start covering this stuff, man. I mean, they're covering everything from like, uh, what's the, uh, wait, cornhole. I think they throw some cornhole on there. I don't know. Whew. But let's get into like a big thing that's actually happened. So, uh, Friday after school, I'm, uh, eating some ice cream with the kids after the putt putting. Look, I said putt putt again. Every time I say it, I, I, I say putt-putt two or three times just to get it out there. But And I got a call from uh, my son's soccer coach, which was interesting. Um, and I'm not going to get into a lot of details on this, but I am going to talk a little bit about it. 
So turns out we have a famous racist on our team, somebody who decided to go Facebook racist famous, which that might be a new new term right there. Uh, famous Facebook racist. You know, those people who decided that, you know what, I, I need to go ahead and let the world know that I hate black people. Um, and this guy was, I guess he's a, well, you know, a lot of people know him. He owns a fairly large company around here in the Detroit area. And, you know, guess what? He got his shit called out. And uh, so what, what, so basically what, what, what it turns out being is, and this is the new, the dilemma is, um, you know, his son is on our team and, or is going to be on our team. And we have a choice as the family as to whether or not we don't want this, these, this family around. And, you know, so it's a challenging scenario of, well, we don't really want to punish the kid. You know, the kid didn't go out and spout off about how he doesn't like black people. Um, you know, it's his dad that decided to do that. So we're in this scenario of, whoo, this is uncomfortable. And, you know, we have a lot of a uh, lot of different races on our soccer team and you know we do we teach the complete opposite of what this guy stands for so this is the dilemma i mean you know i'm 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 pleased that the coach like sort of came to us and was like you know so that we didn't it didn't get found out in the gossip circles you know uh, but you know does this get out to other teams or other teams like listen i'm not having this dude in the crowd you know and then what kind of puts a little salt in the wound from then again, um, I'm clearly I'm way down river here. But from what I was told is that uh, this young man who is uh, he, he feels like he's still being victimized, which is mind boggling. So, you know, we're trying to find I guess the team, it sounds like is trying to find a teachable moment in this to the kids. But I think that's even challenging because, you know, it's got to be embarrassing for the nine-year-old that's going to have to deal with this or 10-year-old, however, however old he is. But, um, yeah, so we got that on our soccer team, which is just going to be just fabulous all year. Um, and then, oh, and then, too, like this guy, I guess, is like, hey, you guys can come to my house. And, and of course, he lives in like a gigantic house with his own soccer field, right? And it's like, yeah, I'm good with all of that. I, 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 don't, I don't really need you know, that type of, uh, apologies where you're like, Oh no, you come to my world. So it's, uh, you, as you, you know, if you guys, I mean, I'm not going to get into much more detail than that, but you can tell that this is uh this is an awkward one. Yeah. I got an awkward one going on over here. And, uh, so I will say that we've said, listen, it's fine that the kid plays, you know, or that's not the issue here. It's probably more what's going on in the stands and just, you know, man, yeah when you know that that's like this guy has showed his true colors and, and also isn't remorseful. That's kind of a tough one. It kind of feels like he's been, you know, the victim. I don't know, man. Oh, I don't know about that. So that's the drama over here. That's our sports drama. How about that? We went from putt putt to tennis to disc golf over to soccer, man. Only things I'm leaving out are the big sports there, but, uh, who knows what those look like. Um, so Yeah. One other thing is, uh, I think I might have to get an Apple Air. I, I've been a uh, computer, thinking about that. I've been traveling now back from the office to home, and I'm trying to just keep my MacBook Pro just here in the office set up with its monitors and just like, this, you know, this is where this work happens. But I noticed that like I'm getting into scenarios where I need two or three things as I'm traveling, and uh, that's what I'm stuck in right now. So I, I feel like i got to get that 13-inch now when I'm going back and forth and just have that 
that quick, quick burst of stuff. So I might pick up one of those maybe today or tomorrow. I don't know. Thinking about that too. So lot, lots going on over here. But all right, with all that said, why don't we go ahead and kick it to why you're probably here. You got through my rambling. I appreciate that. But if you guys are here because you're thinking about running crowdfunding, make sure you go over to woodshed.agency right now. Tons and tons of valuable information there. One, start by going to our blog section. We got a ton of blogs there. Number two, you can go and hit the communities. You can join over 90 other people on Discord right now having conversations about crowdfunding. So go join there. You're not alone, right? Ask questions, get in the, get into our community. And uh, I put out tons and tons of stuff on there as well. So again, you will not be alone when you when you head over to that channel. Um, what else can you do? What else can you do? Well, you can be a subscriber of this podcast. You can go to iTunes, Stitcher, or Spotify, wherever you're getting this. Make sure you hit the subscribe button because every Monday and Thursday, we got new episodes coming out, right? So lots and lots of content for you. And last but not least, uh, and a lot of people don't know this, but if you go and you click on that free stuff off of woodshed.agency, um, it will take you into another channel where you can literally put in any keyword and it pulls up all my stuff. Yeah, totally, totally sweet. So check that out too. It's kind of something I'm playing with and, and still building out, but it's like a, it's like my own Google search for all the content we create. So I think that's pretty, pretty powerful stuff. So, okay. All right, I think I got through all my stuff. Um, why don't we go ahead and kick into my conversation with Oluk and let's talk about Jammy E-V-O. Jammy E-V-O, man. Yeah, you can play any instrument if you're a guitar player. That's all you got to do. You just got to transpose your guitar skills. So, all right, let's get into my conversation. All right, so the red light is on. This is when all the pressure is setting in and you can feel it and you're like, oh my gosh, I got to do a podcast. What, what do I do here? Yeah, all of the people uh, are watching me. Yeah, yeah. All of them, they're just, everybody's so, so, so nuts. So before we get into that, I ask everybody, yeah. what'd you have for breakfast this morning? Uh, man, I don't remember. Don't remember? <laughs> I think I have eggs. I, have, I, I think I have eggs. I think eggs, yeah. Okay, all right. It must be a long, long time ago then, huh? Or was it that special? <laughs> yeah, like eight, breakfast, maybe. eight hours eight hours ago, Okay, yeah. all right, all right. Well, cool. Well, I think we're sounding good. Why don't we actually jump into why we're actually talking today? So why don't you tell my listeners what you're currently raising money for uh, over on Kickstarter? Absolutely, yeah. So basically, our company works on several products, uh, and all of them are uh, digital guitars. Basically, digital guitar is uh, a guitar which can play like an, in, an, an instrument. Uh, if being more specific, uh, the good analogy would be uh, the synthesizer. Uh, like uh, you probably know that uh, there are keyboards and uh, like regular piano. And then uh, like several decades ago, uh, synthesizers for the keyboards appeared. That's something that allowed musicians to produce music on a different scale. Uh, with like any sounds at all uh, by not limiting out themselves with the analog sound of the piano. And it's kind of crazy that didn't, that didn't happen for guitar world uh, for all of the time, uh, especially considering that the guitar is the most popular instrument in the world. And uh, yeah, and it didn't happen. Uh, there are several reasons for that, but basically we're trying to overcome them and create a new category of digital guitars, digital synthesizers for the musicians and hobby guitarists who are more comfortable with the guitar than the, with the piano. Uh, for them to produce music uh, using the familiar interface, which is a guitar. 
Yeah, that's awesome. You're speaking to a fellow musician, guitar player. I own recording studios. Oh, I nice. still do live sound. Uh, so I was excited for this conversation because uh, as a guitar player, I'm always like, I can kind of mess around on other instruments, but, you know, to no actual ability, <laughs> you know, but like, hey, I'm getting it. Yeah, and, and, you, and you don't have to learn the keyboard, right? Because right. you're now you're forced to learn it. And it's like a different instrument, which will take like years to master. Uh, and cool. You already play the guitar, yeah. So let's let's walk through. So like, where is the start of this idea? I mean, you say that you, your company makes products like this, but is this something that you were you personally were struggling with, or just something that you saw a need in the industry? Like, where was kind of the starting point of this idea? Well, it, we don't have like the typical startup story of like a founder sitting uh, in front of the window with the rain uh, outside <laughs> and thinking about the the idea that he had. Uh, we had like a different story. Uh, basically, the background uh, of the company was that uh, one of the folks uh, who is now our community leader uh, was having an idea of a portable guitar, uh, which you can carry around with you everywhere. Mm -hmm. That uh, gained some interest uh, within the country, uh, and we got the investor to support that. Uh, and we started to produce like the first version of Jamie, uh, which is on the market already. So for the last year and a half, I think. Uh, yeah, and it was positioned more like a travel guitar, just like alternative to a regular guitar, which you can take with you. Right. Uh, and did, that did prove to be uh, a great idea and a great market. Uh, but then we understood that the niche market of the digital guitar synthesizers is much in, more interested for, interesting for the company which uh, do hardware uh, because uh, the mass market is good, uh, like when you're talking about travel guitar, but uh, in times like this, like the economic crisis and, and all of the things happening around the world, uh, people just don't want to invest their money in, in toys, right? right? But the musicians uh, who actually need that instrument and it solves their real pain, uh, they would be able to spend money on something that they actually need for their product production workflow for, for, for their job, basically. Right. Uh, and that's a bit more better position to be in as a company, and we kind of pivoted into that direction. And that's uh, where we launched this new product, which is called Jamie Evo, which you can see now on Kickstarter. Mm -hmm. That's that's the brief story. Very cool. And and does this work then using an app or MIDI? Or how does it go from being a guitar to a keyboard? Uh, what's kind of what's happening behind this, uh, in the back end of this? Yeah, that's right. Uh, we're using MIDI, uh, which is like a, a universal protocol for exchanging music messages mm -hmm. and then using uh, so-called digital uh, audio workstations, which are widely available on any type of laptops, computers, uh, yeah, uh, to then synthesize the sound. Uh, so basically, we have uh, proprietary sensors, which is the core of the technology that we have, which can uh, track the position of your fingers on the finger uh, of the fretboard, uh, like how strong you pluck uh, with your right hand, mm. all of the techniques that you're using, and then we translate all of that into MIDI signal, which we then output through USB or Bluetooth. And then the audio workstation on your PC would make it uh, sound uh, cool. as an instrument. Yeah. So that seems like there's um, a healthy like tech hurdle in terms of I'm just thinking about my right hand when I play plucking and and you know finger picking. How, you know for that to translate easily into MIDI and to a keyboard or pick an instrument, I guess. Um, it seems like that's a lot of tech inside of there and a lot of uh, a lot of little nuances. Is that where a lot of the work really was? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Uh, we actually, uh, and many people, uh, do underestimate the technical complexity yeah. 
of like extracting the information from uh, the string movement and your finger positions. And that's basically the main reason, I think, uh, why uh, the technology of digital guitar and digital synthesizer wasn't adopted before, because there were attempts, like starting from the 80s, to make something like that. But because of the technical challenges, I think, uh, it wasn't uh, convenient enough and it wasn't replicating the guitar experience enough for the guitarist to adopt it. So that's basically where we invested the, most of the time as a technical uh, team. Uh, the, the sensors which we've come up with, they are optical and they are basically trying to do their best uh, for the setup that we have and extract as much information as possible from what you're doing with the strings and then to translate it into the most realistic experience uh, possible right now. And also the latency. We need to right. uh, like minimize the latency, which is also one of the biggest challenges. Uh, for that, we do a bunch of crazy stuff. Uh, like we're optimizing the uh, the time frame which we're using to analyze the signal, mm. uh, because like for instance, uh, if you have a latency between plucking the string and hearing the sound more than like 10, 20 milliseconds, yep. it's already like a no-go for a guitarist. Mm -hmm. So yeah, the challenge was to make latency less than 10 milliseconds, which we achieved. Uh, yeah, so bunch of technical challenges there. Yeah, I mean, it seems as somebody who's been in uh, digital audio since kind of the beginning of it, the, yeah. the computer speeds have to be in your favor right now, the amount of processing in just an iPad, as opposed to me, like, you know, I used to remember thinking about running my old G3 and uh, old oh, yeah, yeah, DigiDesign yeah. 001, I'm like, my God, the latency is killing me. Like, I can't, you know, and it's almost like, you know, it was almost next to him, really not, just really wasn't very good workflow, but it's just, we didn't have the computing power, you know, at that point. So I'm assuming that a lot of that right. stuff with that tech allows an idea like this to really sort of take form and, and take shape. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And also like the category of the market itself is also broadening because, uh, so many uh, audio workstations uh, like Ableton, GarageBand, Logic Pro, there are so many on the market. Some of them are free. Uh, they are growing pretty fast and uh, it's widely adopted by not only like semi-pro or pro musicians. Now there are a bunch of uh, hobby music producers which uh, basically produce music uh, on the hobby level and mm -hmm. they also need like the controller to, to work with. Now, did you have to, you mentioned all these different softwares and platforms and I mean, there's a gazillion of them. Did you have to make something that works seamlessly with everything, or is that a pretty centralized system now? Of like, listen, if you use was it Core Audio or something like that, it'll it'll just work, or is it is it something along those lines? Well, the basic setup, like just plucking the string and pressing the frets and just producing the sound, is pretty straightforward. So mm -hmm. that's universal across all of the uh, digital audio workstations because that's how MIDI works. Uh, yeah. Thanks to the creators of MIDI, which were quite wise, I think. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, uh, but then uh, when it comes to specifics, like controlling the different parameters of the sound, the filters, uh, that's pretty uh, pretty diverse uh, for the different platforms. Yeah. Uh, so we're trying to uh, make all of the controls because we don't have just the strings. Uh, we also have uh, like special buttons, uh, knobs, which you can use in your creative process. And we try to make those buttons and knobs uh, mappable. So the yeah. player can basically select anything he wants to this button to to make within uh, his setup, and we kind of uh, optimize the initial setup and the default presets uh, for the most popular uh, audio workstation. But it's totally configurable. That's cool. That's awesome. So how long was this process from idea to I have a something you know what I can see in the video here on Kickstarter? Like how long is that process for you guys? 
Uh, well, for the second product, it was m- much more, much more faster. Uh, mm-hmm. I think from the like the initial design to the first prototypes, it, it just came in a couple of months. Okay, uh, which is pretty fast for the hard- hardware. For the first one, it took us more than a year to set up the manufacturing and yeah. figure out the technology and the sensor and stuff like that. So we invested a lot of time in in that in the beginning. So you know, in those periods of time, what's something that's like keeping you up at night? What's the thing that you're like really worrying about? Uh, I think I think like the most uh, challenging is always the making the right product, which uh, in our case is uh, making the guitar, which is realistic enough for for pe- people to use it actually, and not just mm-hmm. play around. Uh, and like the playability aspect of it is super important. And uh, well, there were several times, of course, as uh, with any company uh, where. Uh, we were struggling with something. Uh, it was challenging, and we were upset uh, or depressed even. Mm. Uh, but each time, where I saw like a video or live, uh, uh, somebody playing live on Jamie and producing great music, uh, that's something that basically inspires me, like for the years to yeah. come. Uh, yeah, and really helps to motivate the team ourselves uh, to to work for the further. Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. So, where in this? Um you know, this whole time frame does the idea of using Kickstarter kind of come in your mind, like it, it, from the beginning, or is it something where you're like, you know, let's use Kickstarter to to prove market validation, or, or, or what was your mindset behind it? Uh, basically, yeah, we, we didn't think of any other approaches. Actually, uh, mm-hmm. we knew that uh, to launch a product which has to be relatively mass market marketed, uh, we need to use a platform. It's really hard to launch product uh, ourselves uh, because we won't create enough uh, reach uh, yeah. for them to pre-order to cover our costs for the tooling and for the production, and then be able to be at least profitable uh, or break even. Right. Uh, yeah. So the Kickstarter was the initial idea, and we didn't even hesitate. I think. What um, and inside of that, when you're kind of putting that t- together, are there certain things that you're looking for? Um, to kind of know that you're ready to even maybe even start building out the page, is, you know, are you waiting for like a final prototype or, you know, testimonials? Are do you have a couple in the in the in the in you know maybe a couple models in the world? Like, what are you kind of waiting to have before you start thinking about launching? Uh, yeah, I guess from the operational perspective, uh, I need to be confident that uh, the timeline, the production timeline that we are promising, is reliable. Uh, mm-hmm. or at least uh, predictable uh, yeah. and there are not too much risks on that so basically that, that usually involves like creating the first round of prototypes and understanding like approximate uh, unit cost uh, and also having some initial at least conversations with the manufacturers uh, it usually helps if you do it even uh, further so once you already like doing manufacturing and then you own then you launch the kickstarter but that's not sometimes not a viable option for a young company uh, right. with not too much capital uh, yeah, and from the marketing perspective, of course, you have to have like the prototype, uh, which you can showcase and demonstrate to people, and like the video of the main mm-hmm. main page was also super important. So those are the elements which we usually uh, think of. That's cool. And how about in terms of um, maybe like data points? Are you looking for? Are there anything that you're you know I want to have X amount of email addresses, or I you know I want to have four or five testimonials, or, or was there anything that you're looking for of like okay now that we have prototypes, people are using them, they're out there, you know, but like still you know you don't just okay now now we launch. But was there something you were looking for of like we want to at least have X amount of something? 
Uh, well, I, I think uh, we used like a backward uh, backwards thinking. Uh, mm-hmm. We have like an we had an initial date uh, of launch which we wanted to have based on our like cash flow expectations and stuff like that. Uh, but before that date, we needed to have a special like a considerably big amount of emails and uh, people interested in the product right. uh, before we launch. So that was just our target, and then we worked towards it uh, through the last three months. That's cool. Uh, well, that, in terms yeah. of the numbers, I think I think uh, you have to launch at least uh, if you want to raise more than one hundred thousand at least. Uh, it's better to have at least five thousand emails uh, yeah. of people who are interested in the product, unless um, unless you are expecting uh, for a miracle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, and we we hear that quite a bit from people who are like, I don't know, I just launched it. I thought Kickstarter <laughs> would just bring me a whole bunch of money. Yeah, I think that Not worked like hours. that, uh, like uh, ten years ago, maybe. Yeah, I did the in the beginning. I, I, you know, I think I had like I don't know twenty or thirtieth Kickstarter ever, and yeah, I would just put a couple tweets out on Twitter, and I'd raise ten grand. I'm like, oh, that was easy. Yeah, that's a miracle. Yeah. Long yeah. time ago, long, long time ago. Well, Not well, anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Now that we're talking about Kickstarter a lot, let's pick, let's actually talk about it here. I mean, we haven't even mentioned some of your numbers. So when I'm talking to yeah. you right now, you've got about seven days to go in the campaign, and you've raised. Over $185,000 I'm in US dollars right now. So, um, and then, but 558 backers, that's a lot of orders. Um, is, is this something that you kind of had some anticipation that the campaign was going to be as, as successful as it is? Um, and, is it, you know, and, and what's the kind of the temperature like in your camp right now of like, wow, this is a really, you know, people tr- really want this and we got to keep, keep going with it. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, considering this, uh, the, like, I would say that, uh, I, I don't think that uh, there would be a worse time to launch to launch Kickstarter campaign than now. Uh, yeah. Like with all the situation around the world uh, and in the in US uh, with an unfortunate events, yeah. uh, that's that's super challenging times. Uh, mm-hmm. But we didn't have like an option to postpone the campaign. Uh, so considering the situation, we are pretty happy with what we've got and happy that people trusted us and supported uh, the campaign. Uh, so yeah, we are pretty happy with the results so far. That's a, and what were there any conversations of like, hey, let's just wait out a couple weeks, maybe not delaying it a whole bunch, but like what were the conversations around when you're watching uh, COVID-19 happening, world shutting down, riots here in the United States? I mean, you know, yeah. what, what were kind of some of the internal conversations of like, you know, do you guys just believe in the product and go with it? Yeah, yeah, that's that was the case. Uh, we, we didn't think that postponing uh, the campaign would uh, create any difference, at least for a couple of months, because the pandemic situation won't go away for right. the next, I don't know, 10 months or even yeah. more until the vaccine is created. So yeah, waiting for more uh, wouldn't be an option for us. So we didn't uh, hesitate at all. That's cool. Was there has there been anything behind the scenes of this campaign that you guys just did not plan for? Like, holy cow, we're shipping to... Philippines or I don't know some something that's just like wasn't expecting that uh, I don't know uh, well it's our second campaign so there are not too much surprises uh, yeah. uh, right now uh, I think the interesting fact that uh, well uh, oh yeah this this one is pretty great uh, like uh, we used a referral a referral program uh, for this campaign and mm-hmm. as well as for the previous one uh, referral program usually doesn't work well for the high price product like, like ours. Uh, if it's like a $50 gadget, it's probably easier to convince your friend to buy it and right. then earn the referral fee. Uh, for the higher 
price products, it, it's not usually works. And last time we, we launched it for the first uh, campaign a couple of years ago, uh, we didn't have a single referral uh, for the program at all. So we created all of the visuals and the description and came up with how it's going to work. And right. nobody Got nobody it. helped us out. <laughs> and this time we actually have a lot, lot of people supporting us. Uh, mm. Like they are posting on Facebook. They are asking their friends to support because they believe in idea. Uh, and uh, basically, this program started to work for us, and it That's was great. quite surprising. I didn't expect it to, to to work as well. That's great. What's been the biggest difference, maybe from campaign one to campaign two? Uh, I think uh, we were uh, much more conscious uh, about uh, the not the launch of the campaign itself, because uh, like the launch is uh, something that you plan for, you create the email list for, mm-hmm. and usually everyone uh, does it pretty well. Uh, but then uh, during the next 30, 40 days of the campaign, uh, last time, at least for us, uh, we didn't do much. Much uh, We tried to do some ads on Facebook, uh, tried different approaches, but basically we just waited it, uh, and, and that's it. Uh, this time we did a lot of more preparation and also created a lot of content uh, to make people engaged during the campaign and excited about the product. Uh, we made a stretch goals, uh, made a lot of uh, educational video. Uh, so that's something that we learn from the last time that we should do. Yeah, that's really great. That's really great. What, I guess, in your guys' mind, who is the person using this product? I know it can it can feel like it's anybody who's a musician from hobbyist to professional, but is it something that you guys really see like this is for people going on live on stage, in the studio, just trying to expand their creativity, songwriting maybe, like they just want to quickly lay down songs? What do you guys kind of picture in your mind as like sort of the perfect user? Well, the core audience, uh, I think, uh, are hobby and semi-pro uh, music producers who are usually producing from their studio uh, at home. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they have like a guitar background. So f- most of the musicians have some kind of background in terms of the instrument that they learned music on. Yeah. Uh, and those who learn guitar, which are mo- mo- like more than a half, uh, and produce music right now, those are the customers uh, that we are looking for. That's cool. And what do you guys see like the next, like, you know, after the money drops for this Kickstarter and you've got to ship out, you know, maybe 650 some odd orders or whatever, but what starts happening to get those units into backers' hands? Uh, well, we have to set up the manufacturing uh, that involves creating molds, uh, investing in, the, in like all the infrastructure, and then basically running the whole manufacturing uh, process, uh, which can take several months. Uh, like for the several iterations. Mm. Uh, and then basically we will be using the same manufacturer that we used for the previous version of the guitar, which produces the, current, the previous version right now. So it's going to be relatively easier uh, than the previous time because there are similar similarities. Right. And then we will just use the same supply chain that we use right now to ship out the orders and then starting up to uh, like already selling worldwide and creating like the reach for the product and making sure that people know that uh, those things like guitar MIDI controllers out there. That's cool. And where do you see sort of like the next two years looking like? Is it something that you're trying to get into like the big box retail here in the States? We have like guitar centers of the world or is it in Sweetwaters or these kind of big, you know, mammoth uh, stores that a guy like me goes and I order it? Is that what you guys see or is it more just doing selling it off your own website? What do you guys kind of envision? for the next couple of years looking like. like yeah like retail wise it's pretty complicated to predict right now yeah. i've heard different stories about the guitar center for instance or other big box retailers 
uh, who are suffering from all of the pandemic and uh, coronavirus. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, but we will definitely would consider uh, going with the online retailers like Sweetwater. Yeah. And definitely would continue to sell directly to consumer because it's a great model to have and many startups don't appreciate it enough, I think, uh, because uh, you control the margin. It's like this uh, channel that you own and you control it uh, from the beginning to the end of like the customer support mm-hmm. part. Right. Uh, yeah, so it's a better way to serve the customers and it's actually a more profitable way. So we also continue to invest in direct to consumer. That's cool. That's cool. So... I'm going to ask you a couple questions here that are off topic, but I considering everybody's locked inside, I've been doing kind of like a little lightning round at the end here. So if you're game right. for it, I'm going to shoot you some questions. You ready? All right. Go All right. Ahead. First one, what have you been watching? Is there been, what have you been watching on TV or Netflix, Hulu, any of that sort of stuff? Any shows? Uh, uh, I try? I, yesterday I watched Rick and Morty, I think. Okay. I like Rick the last episode. Yeah. 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 yeah I, I love that series. And I also watch a lot of the documentary series on Netflix, which are pretty cool, like explained, they call it explained. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Very cool. How about, um, has there been a movie, like a like a movie that you watched uh, that you really enjoyed? Oh, man. Uh, I don't remember when I watched movie last time. I think I, I think I don't watch movie, movies anymore. It's oh. funny. I've been asking these questions a lot. And it's how many people are like, no, I watched these like eight part series on Netflix, you know, which is like. 12 movies you know it's just like (laughs) no i spent like 20 hours watching this thing but i don't watch i'm not watching a two-hour movie yeah (laughs) i'm trying to be more more effective with my life yeah i know i know but it's funny how and i think the same thing i'm like man if anybody asked me i'd be like i don't know but i did watch waco and i watched this thing and it was and that was a 10 partner i watched 10 i watched five series in a row uh, you know uh, you know so yeah uh all right how about um how about a book you reading any books right now Uh, yep uh i'm actually reading the book uh like the Bill Gates, uh, he like d- d- does this uh, like list, uh, book list stuff uh, each year, I think. And mm-hmm. he recommended like a bunch of books. And one of the books was, um, I'm not sure uh, I remember the name correctly because I'm reading in Russian. Uh, it's like about the memory uh, and uh, it has Einstein name uh, okay. within, within the title. I don't remember the exact yeah. wording there. But basically explains how the memory works and it's well, really well written uh, by mm-hmm. the journalist who explored the topic broadly and it's fascinating to read and also pretty interesting to know the, the stuff yeah the memory is an interesting uh interesting uh, thing right yeah it's funny yeah, how, it's, and, it's and a, how everybody's a little bit different too in terms of like you know some people are like they don't remember anything and you're like and i remember every, i will remember this entire conversation for like the next you know six months and then i'll be wow. like i talked to them <laughs> yeah it's weird <laughs> i have a weird my memory is weird and how it like just processes stuff. So it's, it's everybody's a little bit different. So it's cool. How about, uh, is there any podcasts you listen to? Uh, well, well I obvi- usually, outside of mine, I mean, I know you listen to mine all yeah, the time. So course, you listen to mine course, all, all the way through yeah. every episode, 195 of them, but past that. Uh, yeah, I usually, uh, I like to listen to Joe Rogan podcast. Uh, okay. probably everyone. Yeah, yeah. It's pretty exciting. And uh, yeah, that's, I guess the last episode that I uh, listened to. Yeah. That's awesome. And how about last one will be like, is there any like website you go to for either inspiration in terms of, you know, product design or marketing or like, Hey, I go here yeah. and, and just kind of, you know, learn something or anything along those lines. Uh, yeah, I, I'll, I'll drop a useful link now. Uh, probably, um, uh, there is a website called Bigger Cake. Uh, it, they didn't pay me for the promotion, uh, but I used it all the time. It's basically a website which uh, accumulates all of the data from the Kickstarter campaigns, and you can see pretty deeply uh, what uh, the campaigners were doing, 
uh, day by day, and it really helps to understand uh, like the principles, and then you can uh, apply them for your campaign as well. So it's a pretty useful instrument. Yeah, you don't have to. You don't have to preach to me. Uh, I pay for the bigger cake, whole creative suites. <laughs> I, I'm using oh, all their yeah. stuff. It's very cool <laughs> stuff, man. Yeah, and I love having that Chrome extension where I go to a Kickstarter and instantly I'm like, oh, and that's why you're not having success. Oh, and that's why you're having success. You could yeah, see yeah, it, like, it, like it basically like, yeah brings the clarity instance. Yeah, yeah, it's very very cool. Well, um, well, where can people dive in? You know, outside of Kickstarter, or obviously I'll send people to Kickstarter. But where can people kind of dive in? into your world, see what you guys are making, can follow along. Like, where should I send people? Uh, you can send them to uh, our website, which is playjamie.com. Uh, and it has all of the links to the social media that we are uh, pushing. Like, we have uh, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter pages. All of them are pretty active. So subscribe to follow the company news and also follow the development of the new product. Awesome. Well, I appreciate you taking time out of your day. I know you got, you're busy. Campaign's getting ready to end. We've only got seven days to go. So if you guys are listening to this, you've only probably got three or four days to go. So if you're interested, make sure you go over to Kickstarter right now and check it out. Um, oh, oh, look, I appreciate it so much, man. Great campaign. I look forward to see what you guys are doing in the future. And uh, if I can convince my wife, you might get a backer because, uh, you know, I need more <laughs> instruments around my house. But, uh, you know, <laughs> yeah, I appreciate it. Man. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Have a good day. Bye. All right. How about that conversation? I told you it was going to be a good one, man. Well, maybe I didn't Maybe I didn't hype it up as much in the beginning. I should have. That's my bad. But it was a great conversation, and I was really, really pleased to get into it. Uh, I always love talking to musicians. Actually, all week is going to be about music products. My Thursday episode is going to be all about, a, the. it's called Roadie. It's a tuner. So we're going to be talking musical instruments and musical products this whole week, which is awesome, awesome, awesome. With that said, the song we'll listen to is a song called Lucky. It's off the Sugar Roses collection, which you can find on Spotify, iTunes, and wherever you get your music, right? Um, yeah, go out there now. Hey, maybe like that stuff, you know? Be a, be a listener of the Sugar People. We got a lot of music out there as well. So, all right, guys. With all that said, I hope you guys are doing well. Make sure you go over to woodshed.agency now. Like I mentioned earlier, there's a ton of resources there for you. Um, dive in. Go to consultation. Pick a 20-minute call with me. That's my, my calendar. Um, but for everybody else, I'll talk to you all on Thursday. Hope you have a great couple days. See ya.
You're lucky.